Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of I've Got Questions, a pre-modern podcast. My name is William Hurst, and today we are here with the amazing, the undeniable force that is Michael Arnold, and we are going to be talking the Super Gauntlet. Mike, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's been a bit of a crazy day, but yeah, we're doing all right. How's it going with you? Uh, I will ditto on the crazy day. Um, that just seems to be every day at this point. But mm-hmm. we're here to relax ourselves. We're here to talk some pre-modern and specifically the Super Gauntlet. Now, for those mm-hmm. of us who are not as familiar or those who do not know what it is, give us a brief overview of what the Super Gauntlet is and kind of the history of it. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the... Um fourth yeah the fourth year and the you know the fifth total uh bracket that i've run uh so last year we did two but every every year since uh, 2020 we've done one uh 64 uh deck single elimination gauntlet and this started off you know when we were still in the, the depths of quarantine and uh, we just finished up with uh, the the first pss at that point and uh i was looking for something else to do to kind of keep myself busy during the you know uh, staying indoors all the time. And this is an idea which I kind of thought of, like how many decks could you get in a single elimination gauntlet, have everything be a little bit unique. And this is based off of some of the original um, content, which um, Flint Espel and Mike Hoyp were putting out. They were doing just a deck single elimination uh, with just themselves and some decks that they threw together. So I'm like, how many could you get and what would the structure need to be? So we came up with um, eight different players, each bringing eight different decks, and we run it through single elimination. And we see who is the the last one standing uh, from here. And this is something you, know, you can't do with every format. Not every format can support so many archetypes, uh, but we get to do it here in pre-modern. Exactly. Um, so... It's just kind of a celebration of uh, the community as well as, you know, just uh, the format, you know, itself. And uh, when I was really putting this list together and thinking of ways to be able to engage the community, um, I was like, I wonder if there's a way to generate, um, you know, a good predictive bracket type challenge, like a March Madness. I'm like, I'm sure there's got to be some somewhere you can do it. Um, and that's where I found the, the website Common Ninja, which I've been using every single year um, to be able to run this uh, bracket challenge. And the last couple of years, well, everyone, every year people have been able to enter it and you know just be able to make their own predictions about how the, the tournament is going to go. And you can win points and just kind of a way to be able to um, friendly, you know, just some friendly competition among members of the community. And the last couple of years, we've had a prize, you know, for the, the person who scores the, the most points in their predictive bracket challenge. Awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is quite a concept. And you're right. Premodern has a lot of ways that you can enjoy it with its card pool. Uh, and we're seeing that. We have the Super Gauntlet. We have, um, you know, regular comp- uh, competitive play. Uh, Brian Kowal ran the Necro Summer League. There's no band lists. There's there's all sorts of things. So it's really cool to see. Um, and it helps fill in those gaps uh, in between major things, major events. And we're just kind of filling up the calendar. So when you had this idea and you were starting to 
let's ask this question first. So eight players bring eight decks, total of 64, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How, I know you guys draft the archetypes. Yes. Um, But we'll start here. When, When you set up the archetypes, are you just giving the vague guidelines of what has to be in it? Or are you actually providing a deck list? How much flexibility is like um, Aaron Dix obviously performed well um, Mm -hmm. in this last one. He played a really unique Dreadnought deck, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, How much leeway did he have to put that together? Is it just a concept of you have to play a – you're playing a Dreadnought deck? What, What does that look like? Yeah, and I try to give uh, you know each of the players as much flexibility as possible. Uh, that being said, um, some decks you know in, in pre-modern are fairly well established. Um, mm-hmm. Other ones, you know, are things that like it's it's a known entity within the format, but it's not necessarily something which does see a lot of representation within tournaments. And so, the more well established something is, um, you know. Th- they have to really conform, you know, to certain certain structures. Um, mm-hmm. Good example of that would be like, you know, goblins. You know, we should see um, lackeys. We should see pile drivers. We should see war chiefs and mm-hmm. ringleaders and everything like that. If we start to see things like goblin mutants, um, yeah, uh, you know, or uh, you know, even a goblin goons, anything like that, you mm-hmm. have to provide a lot more reasoning, like justification. Um, like why this is, you think, the best representation of the deck. It doesn't have, necessarily have to be the best um, version of the deck, but a, just a good representation of the deck. And gotcha. some of these archetypes that we're going to see uh, that's included in there, and they're included, it's, it is kind of just like a forced variety that we see. Um, but a lot of people will have, especially if you're invested in the format, you'll have this deck built. You might have tried it at some point. And so like... Mm-hmm with uh the deck we're referring to aaron's um this is actually drafted under the psychotog um okay uh, archetype uh but you know you being a psychotog lover 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 yourself you know there's it's not like i i mean one of the big forces of the format no not not currently yeah it's something which gets played um and you know we we definitely can the architecture which Aaron has, you know, is common to a lot of Psychotog decks. It's not, it's not, not a Psychotog list, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also um, a Stiflemot list that you'll see in there. So, Exactly. And mm-hmm. it's a unique format, too, because and, and we've seen it all. You People stream this, people record it, people put it out there. Um, the single elimination makes for some really wonky things happening. Like, oh yeah, Stompy. Like, I can't remember if it was this year, what year it was. Like, Stompy. Like, you think of like ten land Stompy, a little dirtily elephants. Cool. It doesn't really do much a lot of times, but if it catches the right matchups in a single elimination, that thing will bust somebody's bracket. I mean, I have not done the bracket yet. I'm planning to next time. I just have not had the time. But it's just like the number of people who are like, well. Stompy won. My bracket's been busted week Mm -hmm. one. Like these, you get to see matchups that you don't often see along with the archetypes. Is that something you've enjoyed while putting this together? Is like you see a deck like Stompy, you see a deck like, uh, hell, I don't know, Squirrel Opposition if it was one. Like you see these things start to perform 
and get to see their power because it's not always against Dreadnought. It's not always against Sly. You get to see what the deck does. Was that kind of a driving bit of this idea? Um, you know, not like in the very beginning, but as it's continued on, it is definitely one of the, the most fun things to see. And yeah, we get a lot of different matchup data, you know, here. Um, a lot of these decks, like your Tin Land Stompy, um, Stompy is a great example because in the, the five tournaments which I've run, it's always it's advanced to the second round at least four times. So it's got it's got like a winning record overall in the gauntlet, um, which you wouldn't expect. Uh, whereas um, Landstill has never gone very far, I, I think. Um, not even the hands of very good Landstill players, including David Daniel and Tom Matelski. Um, <laughs> both of which got eliminated in the first rounds of, of their tournaments that they played it in. Um, so y we do see some interesting things happen like this because of the force diversity, but um, yeah, some, you know, things which might not be able to really shine in a, a standard Swiss, you know, type tournament because they're just too likely to run into their bad matchups um, because there's only like one of each archetype um, ideally you can, you know, just um, place a safer bet on being able to dodge those bad, uh, bad matchups mm -hmm. and really for it to continue on. And yeah, in terms of like, you know, um, bracket busting, this does happen a lot because people will just, um, they will completely disregard these decks because like, oh, that's, that's not really very good in pre-modern. But mm. the bracket works out with them. And uh, I mean, sometimes because you're not familiar with these matchups, you don't actually see, you know, how, you know, these things will, will play out here. Um, a good example, you know, I remember one of the, uh, the very first one that I ran. Um, Landstill was by far the, the most popular um, uh, pick to win it all. And again, eliminated in the first round by Enchantress. Um, and as the formats matured, and we've seen this matchup a lot more as Enchantress has become more and more popular, Enchantress really does well against the mm -hmm. blue decks. You know, if it's mm -hmm. able to land just one um, Enchantress effect and, and stick it, um, it's going to run away with the game. It's just going to outpace uh, with its card advantage engine any of the blue exactly. decks. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's so funny. Like, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the draft. Obviously, that has to be quite an experience. You're all probably in a Discord chat or something, in a Discord or a Facebook group, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about that atmosphere. I was talking a little bit to Aaron when I saw him uh, this last weekend out in Milwaukee. Uh, and I've heard a couple of people like, like, the sniping of decks from people you know, like somebody will snipe a deck out for money, buddy, and just the trash talking and things that you do in good nature. How is that atmosphere of the draft, and how do you how do you determine pick order? Like, is it just a straight draft down? Does it rotate on a number of rounds? How what goes into that? What would people? What are people missing behind the scenes? Yeah, so the pick order is entirely random. Um, I just you know put the names uh, in a random number generator. And uh, we go uh, one through eight, and it's a snake draft. So whoever has the eighth pick also has the ninth pick. And it will go just around and around in that. And we draft seven rounds. So I have 56 decks, which are just predetermined. Like this is what I think is representation of the pre-modern format um, with 
a fair amount of diver diversity. I don't want too many oath decks, too many survival decks. But as far as like the, the draft order goes, that's how we draft the 56. And then each player at the very end gets to pick, you know, kind of a rogue brew or something off the list uh, to be able to bring to the table. And yeah, so uh, I think a lot of this um, in terms of doing well, like in the draft, is being able to, you know, grab, you know, the, the decks which are very powerful and you're very comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, and then also knowing which decks you can, you know, comfortably grab, pick five and pick six, mm -hmm. um, and still do well with. That's where, like, knowing that um, Stompy is a you know, a solid deck, even though it's, it's not like when you're going to immediately pick, knowing that it at least has, like, the structure of Stompy is very sound um, mm -hmm. and it's got its um, good matchups that you can kind of steal that and, and potentially, you know, do quite well with. So um, uh, Aaron definitely was uh, one to hate draft um, a lot of stuff uh, in here. <laughs> I was just uh, going through because I keep a log, you know, of all like the, the pick order and so mm -hmm. we can kind of go through and, um, uh, Aaron first picked goblins. Uh, he was uh, pick number five um, mm -hmm. total. So he was drafting in the, the five seat. He picked goblins before that. You know Jeff White. You know could have a chance at it. <laughs> um, I I passed it up and I you know done done well with goblins before. But um, yeah, uh, Aaron just snagged it up. Um, and then like on the next time around. Uh, Aaron picks up Machine Head before it can make it uh, make its way back to David Daniel, who is known, of course, for his Draco, Draco Blast version right there. Mm -hmm. And uh, then pick three, um, he he picks up Merfolk, um, which, if you know me, I am a lover of the the fish. You are here. a lover of the and, fish. Yep. And, but that's again, you know, a deck which I think I can comfortably get. You know, pick five or pick six. Um, mm -hmm. And he just he just snatched it from me, um, and that's that's kind of how that the draft went, uh, yeah. especially with with how Aaron goes. But yeah, there's there's a lot of things you know which kind of went down, um, which are unexpected. Uh, we all were pegging Andrew Walker to first pick Enchantress, mm -hmm. um, and he he passed it up. Um, he was expecting to get it like pick pick two, and so Jama uh, uh, with uh, pick number pick number eight. He grabbed Enchantress, so with his his first pick, that uh, made it to him. Mm -hmm. So once people have picked, and people have to come in knowing this, the expectation is you are able to build the decks you pick without playtest cards or proxying. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So this gotcha. is definitely um, a, an event, you know, for those who are well invested in into the format. Um, you have a lot of experience with it. So yeah, you, you build the decks and got to be with real cards. We allow, um, world championship cards, but you should be able to build each of these decks, you know, without any proxies. Gotcha. Um, so once things are picked, you'd pick the map. How do you, do you throw all the decks again into a random generator to generate the actual bracket itself? Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. So typically like, uh, how most years have been, I usually have about four people who are like in the American side and four people in European. Uh, mm -hmm. This year we didn't have very many Europeans um, volunteers and I was trying to get just like a lot of new blood in it um, mm -hmm. because 
as we've done this year after year, uh, more and more people are volunteering. So, sure. um, but yeah, the only like breakdown that I do besides um, uh, generating it randomly is just to split off those groups first. So mm-hmm. you're like your West versus East. So you're playing in the, the, the same time period. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes it makes it for easier scheduling. And so that way, like the American group can't play against the European group until the very finals. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. And I, I, further breaking down from that, you also, um, the, the, the decks are broken down into groups first before randomizing. So it's like random groups and then random order within that group. So you, basically you can't um, end up being paired against one of your own decks until the third round. Got you. Okay. Sounds good. Um, so when when this gets going or when it's played out, obviously that first round takes a while. How is the – as a TO, because that's what you are for this, how is mm-hmm. the – what lessons have you learned from your first one to this one as far as managing events? For anyone who wants to put on an event or wants to do something similar, what are some things you picked up along the way that are helpful, things that you learned that I shouldn't do, you know, anything like that? Um, I mean, I've, I've been lucky. Like, uh, pretty much everyone's been really great. And, you know, they've, uh, you know, been very responsive and scheduling their matches and everything like that uh, with you know, when we've um, held the event, you know, going from uh, mid-October until December, we do um, over, um, you know, overlap with a lot of holidays. So I might have to go in a little bit and just kind of be like, hey, you know, have you scheduled this match yet? Um, that one. So that's, I mean, that's it. That's all I would recommend right there. Um, and uh, other than that, um, just kind of be on the, the lookout for, um some potential conflicts which can arise so you can plan ahead for them um when i have like these 56 decks uh which we have uh, to be drafted um i you know in the sign up sheet i have a list and be like okay which which decks could you could you build and one of the criteria is for the draft to work you have to be able to build i mean 12 of these decks um mm-hmm. And I know that that sounds uh, like a lot. Um, and certainly, like, if you don't, if you can't build a 12 decks, I mean, there's nothing, I'm nothing against you. Um, this is, you know, just kind of a, it's a special event for those people who are very invested and there, mm-hmm. you know, are, you know, some, you know, who's, I mean, collections far surpass mine. Um, and this is just kind of um, a, uh, opportunity to be able to celebrate those members of the community who are so invested. But as far as like planning on TO side, just kind of, I'll keep an eye out, you know, for those um, guys who are on the lower end of the decks that they, they have available. Uh, just so as we get further and further in the, the draft, they, they do have some agency mm-hmm. in making their picks. And gotcha. then I do plan ahead. So if I see that there's only a couple left, be like, Hey, um, these decks, you know, are kind of reserved for, for these players at this point that, you know, happens farther on in the draft. But other than that, there's not, there's not too much. Um, mm-hmm. I feel that has gone into it, but maybe that's because I've been doing this, you know, for as long now. <laughs> um, I, you know, uh, I was 
when first starting this out, I was messaging Flint Espo like all the time and just kind of like, you know, getting some ideas and be like, do you think this would work? Do you think this would work? <laughs> and tried it and we just kind of, um, you know, made it up as we went along and it all, all kind of worked out. Exactly. Awesome. Um, so when you, you have the decks and obviously, so it's 64 minus eight, essentially. So, um, for deck for archetypes, you create it's, um, I can't do math. 56. Mm -hmm. There we go. Can't do math. Do you ever rotate decks in and out? Like, obviously some decks will have to rotate out because land tax got banned. So obviously you're not playing land tax decks. Are, is that a primary driver for rotating a deck out, or is there sometimes like, oh, what's the thing to see? Um, a deck is just so overwhelmingly good. I don't know if it's ever happened in the gauntlet. If there's a deck that's just been so clearly ahead of the rest that it's not worth putting in, or a new archetype like like the Oath Palouche decks come up. Or something mm-hmm. like, would those rotate in? Like, how does the rotation of decks in and out work if there is any? Yeah, definitely. And there's there's certainly been some rotation in and out. Um, I always, you know, keep a lookout for anything which does make a top eight at a big event, which is, you know, kind of kind of rogue, kind of out there a little bit. Um, and you know, certainly bannings and unbannings uh, that will have impacts on on what we put in. And but as far as like specifics uh, that I can, um, you know, uh, go off of. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, Phil uh, Wynn made top eight with uh, his his signature false cure deck. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm like, we got a spot open. Let's let's get false cure in here and mm-hmm. uh, see how it does. And there's also, I think it was German Nationals uh, last year where a player, um, you know, surprisingly made uh, top eight with uh, – Chance encounter Frenica Freed, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was like, all right, let's let's get that one in. Um, and with like Oath Palouche, and I'll kind of get into this. Um, with uh, I was fortunate that before we did have like just green white Oath, um, mm-hmm. like as, as a format that's been in there, you know, since the beginning is green white Oath, um, and you could, you know choose a couple different varieties of um of green white which which i like had in the, the sheet but as far as like this year when updating it because technically parfait would fall under green white green white mm-hmm. oath but you know this last year we had a big surgence in um the the mono green terravore oath deck yep um and when thinking about like what separates different archetypes right here instead of just having it like green white i'm like okay a specifically a sphere of resistance plus oath deck okay. so and uh, we've, we have land tax out so we can just forget about you know uh a qualification which would include them in that overall group mm-hmm. but definitely like sphere of resistance plus oath you know show me what you think the best version of that is um gotcha. Because while definitely like Oath Palouche and, you know, Tyrant Oath, uh, that's why I usually call it the Mono Green Oath, mm-hmm. while they're, they're definitely different decks, they share a lot of the same blood. Mm-hmm. And that overall architecture of Mana Denial plus Oath, that's what they're doing. Got you. Got um, you. 
so that's how it kind of you know shoot you know shoehorned um with Palouche deck in there as it just you know put it in you know as an example of what you know um prison oath would be sure that makes sense so let's talk about this year um had a fresh batch um how did this year go? Were there any really uh, cool surprises as far as what made it through? Any big shockers? Any real uh, big bond, like um, bracket busters that come to mind? How did this year go? Kind of give us the rundown, how it started, how it ended, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, so there was there's a lot of um, bracket busters that we had early in the beginning and uh, some which people barely squeaked by. Um, I always got a uh, remind uh, Anton of uh, him messing up his Doomsday pile. Um, that was the very few people predicted that Doomsday was going to beat Pit Rack. Um, however, I can tell you, as someone who's actually played Doomsday before, Doomsday does pretty well against discard decks. Um, okay. And anyway, we traded games one and two, and then game three, um, Anton had like uh, the win lined up, but he missequenced his pile. Um, you know, because he had this flight of hand into the pile. Um, mm. And, you know, he was just going on uh, kind of automatic from having played, uh, you know, preordain before. And uh, <laughs> so that the flight of hand kind of messed up the, the order and it will take that. But yeah, that was one which a lot of people dodged. Um, some really common ones. We got to this before. Uh, Mono Blue uh, Stifle Knot was taken down by, by Stompy. And definitely a lot of people, um, you know, that messed up a lot of people. I'm just going, getting the, what the voting was. So Always. 55 people voted for Stifleknot and eight people voted for Stompy. <laughs> Those people probably weren't the happiest, but all right, Stompy. That, that mm -hmm. had to be an interesting matchup because I'm thinking about it in my head. Is Stompy's actually relatively fast. And they have a lot of answers to artifacts. That actually doesn't surprise me that much. I guess how heavy was that green list on like naturalizes, uh, scavenger folk, you know, things like that. I think scavenger okay. folk. The let's uh, pull up that that list right here. So that was Andrew Walker who was running the good old Senor Stompy. And main deck, I'm not seeing anything main deck. All right. Chat it, but then like in the yeah, in the sideboard, he's got four naturalized. He also has four hidden gibbons, which are you know, uh, stifle not has to play an instant at some point. Mm -hmm. So um, he's just got a one mana four four at that point, as well as Rushwood Legate. That's a free uh, free two one. Doesn't cost mm -hmm. any mana. So yeah, um, Andrew can just go very fast and. You know, if uh, blue stifle knot, while it's really good, I, I, you know, I think it's much better against the control decks to, to grind out those those ones. You mm -hmm. know, you don't always have the stifle knot in the opening hand. You have to go digging for it. And yep. um, if you do, then I mean, Stompy can turn three. It can turn three when. Um, okay. That's with like a godlike hand, but it can consistently uh, goldfish a turn four. So. That was one of our big bracket busters uh, right there. Um, also, um, we'll talk more about Aaron. Mm -hmm. Sorry, sometimes my headset randomly goes out. Can no you hear me now? I right. can hear you. Perfect. Um, so yeah, um, only 19 people voted for Psychodog in, uh, versus uh, Blue-Green Survival Menace. 
uh, whereas 44 people were um, voting for uh, blue green and that one went through. Mm -hmm. um, other big ones right here. Let's see. Yeah, Ponza beating Mud, that was kind of even. Um, 27 people had Ponza winning, whereas 36 for Mud. Um, let's see. There's not too much else which really stands out to me or what I can think of, um, but definitely the you know, stifle knots uh, going out in the first round. Um, also, Landstill, Landstill versus Mr. T, which is the, you know, mulch raised Terravore deck. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of, lot of efficient creatures, a lot of mana denial. Yep. Uh, 46 people voting for Landstill, only 17 for Mr. T. Mr. T got um, it. That was a big one. And um, yeah, because this is kind of a, a rogue build, which I, I uh, brought. I brought Cephalid Life. Ooh. Um, which I kind of I kind of metagame this. This is and going back to how flexible can you be with certain things. Um, mm -hmm. This is the infinite life combo, yep, um, yep. with but also have Cephalid Illusionist, which mm -hmm. combos with the, the encore creatures to mill mm -hmm. your deck, um, and you kill with a Sutra Ghoul, uh, reanimated Sutra Ghoul. And I went up against Frantic Storm in the first round. And <laughs> while Frantic Storm is a deck which is looking to mill the opponent out with Brain Freeze, and while the Cephalid combo is looking to mill your own self with, mm -hmm. um, with Cephalid Illusionist, <laughs> that does not typically work out in the, the Brain Freeze deck's favor. Mm -hmm. 49 people voted for Frantic Storm, though. And I'm assuming just because Frantic Storm is a known entity. Mm -hmm. And only 14 people voted for Cephalid Life. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was that was a big upset right there. And other than that, those were, yeah, those were the main ones, I would say, okay. um, which, which busted a lot of brackets right there. So yeah, I just... think overall as a community, because I'm able to kind of uh, see the numbers, it was only mm -hmm. around like 50%. Um, you know, so you were... Uh, just slightly better than a guessing, um, just pure random guess to, uh, to predict mm -hmm. the first round. And like okay. the people who were doing the very best uh, were just over 60%. So, gotcha. And I think that's actually good, you know, for the format when things mm -hmm. are that kind of unpredictable. Um, mm -hmm. That, you know, means that there's a lot of room, you know, to be able to. Um, approach things differently, catch people off guard, um, that type of thing, which which is why Magic is such an interesting game. Gotcha. So when these things are going on, so you, you get a deck that's kind of this roguish deck. It's it's doing well. It gets into round two. It keeps moving on. Does something like that usually become the crowd favorite? People are just rooting for this little underdog that could to just get there. And what was kind of the, if that is the case, what was kind of the greatest story of the, the little engine that could that has happened these five years, the the rogue deck that has gone the farthest. I mean, in, in your at least in your estimation, what you feel? Yeah, I mean, people always love to see uh, the the spice going. Uh, so, um, what I consider, you know, the best one. I'm a little bit biased here, but last year I took my rogue submission on, which was uh, zombie contamination, and mm -hmm. I took that all the way to the top eight. Um, okay. beating some very real decks um, along the way. 
and uh, yeah, beat, was able to beat Reanimator uh, round one. Just uh, was able to steal that, and then uh, went up against uh, Star Spangled Slaughter and uh, beat a Medley Mage deck. And just you know, I remember game three. I just had the I had the nuts and just like turn two Zombie Infestation, turn three Contamination, game mm-hmm. over. Um, <laughs> that was that was pretty fun to be able to to do that. Um, uh, I remember. Um, the very first one that we did in 2020, uh, Manos Kinkinis, um, very, mm. you know, uh, well-known player from, from Greece. He had drafted like white weenie as one of his last picks. And, mm-hmm. uh, there was someone who had just recently posted, uh, a mono white clerics list. Um, this guy, uh, by the name of Adam Rice, you know, um, mm-hmm. who is, uh, you know, became a big member of the community. And also he, um, participated in year three with the gauntlet, but he had, brewed up this mono white cleric list and uh i was like well mano since you don't know what to play why don't you play something like this and so he did and he promptly took down uh uh dreadnought in his the first round because it turns out there's you know adam had just put all these little tricks to mm-hmm. um to blank dreadnought um in his in his deck and uh took took it quite far i think when i want to say top 16 something like that um so we definitely get a few of these decks every single year. Um, this one, uh, this year, is a lot of people were giving Aaron a hard time because uh, he had a bunch of, basically the joke was that he managed to play Stifle Knot in every single one of his lists. But um, he, uh, it, it's part of the description with Merfolk that you can have the Stifle Knot package in there that's known as Fish and Chips. Um, mm-hmm. And so he he took that to the top eight, as well as the Psychotog, uh, uh, Psychotog Dreadnought list into the top eight. But uh, we also had um, Dark Ritualist Dead Guy Ale this year with mm-hmm. Desolation Angel. Yep, and, that was spicy. Yep, and it totally like won him the uh, the match with me against Elves. I was <laughs> you know presenting about forty points of damage with Kamal. And he mm-hmm. just wipes my lands, and I can't even activate Kamal mm-hmm. um, with with that. So, um, yeah, that that came down to it, and um, we had Anton taking Zoo um, to the top eight, which you know, um, Zoo is you know typically a three to five colored creature deck, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of efficient little you know one and two drops with rancors and lightning bolts and swords to plowshares, typically something like that. Anton jokes that he doesn't know how to do combat math, but he he had to learn a little bit of that this year. But <laughs> yeah, I would say mostly for you know the top eight this year was definitely uh, Desolation Angel uh, was the one that was stealing the show. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't it? I mean, you don't get to see that card really anywhere, and this is a, a great event for that to see those mm-hmm. cards that you don't see. Um, so. You do get to see this. You get to see a bunch of weird matchups. You get to see decks you don't see a lot, uh, and even new decks. So with something like this here, so Aaron, as we've referred to, performed very well with mm-hmm. uh, his Psychotalk deck, which included uh, the Stifle Nut package. Uh, I actually got to get play against him this last weekend uh, in the top eight of uh, the Milwaukee tournament. Uh, I was playing Stasis, mm-hmm. and his deck is real. Like yeah. it's a real deck, and I know blue black dreadnought was a thing initially. It was one of the initial dreadnought decks, 
mm-hmm. but he found a way to fit that in together with the psych talk that is very effective. I know uh, I was listening to uh, Mike Flores has his podcast with Lanny. He had uh, BK on as a special guest. Uh, I was just listening to that today, and Flores loves that. He Flores being Flores saying he may have found the deck that broke the format or solved the format was I think his <laughs> words. We'll we'll see, but the deck is real. I think it's it could be a long standing one. How often? Does that happen? Like once you get a deck like this, like, hey, this deck has legs. It can now people see it. Now people put in work. Has there ever been a deck that has come through the gauntlet that didn't really have much thought before that really then started to pop out? I think you had mentioned uh, Enchantress earlier against the blue decks. Was that kind of one of those situations where, okay, maybe we should give this more credit and something starts to build from this gauntlet experience or at least in from what you've seen? I mean, I would like to think that, you know, people do take inspiration from Goblet, um, but in just judging by how many people actually do create, you know, um, or like do the bracket challenge and pay attention to it, I think we're, you know, just seeing kind of like the the most invested, you know, members sure. of the community who are looking sure, at, sure. The, at this the most. Um, I think there might be a little bit of a, a trickle down uh, to it, but like, uh, my, my zombie contamination list, um, you know, yeah, I made that top eight with that, but I also made top four in the December monthly with it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot more people um, found it from the, the top four sure. uh, versus uh, the, the super gauntlet right there. Um, yeah, uh, we'll kind of see, you know, how it keeps going. Um, if, uh, if people do get inspired to, to create and to brew off of, of what they see, great um if it's just you know a couple people like tuning in and you know mm-hmm. giving something something to, t- to talk about um based off of the bracket challenge for you know just 50 60 people that's that's all good too yeah well i mean it's a great experience to watch i love it i love the fact that yourself uh andrew walker are streaming other people are streaming this and that's been one of the big things with monthlies with your stuff with uh everything going on is we're seeing so much more content out there to find. Um, Where do you think as a person who does create content, uh, content is going forward with Primon? Like, where do you see that going? Are there any kind of things content wise you would really like to do with the super gauntlet to take it to any sort of next level? If there is one, what are kind of those steps ahead for this series in the, you know, in its next iterations or things you'd like to see. Yeah, um, I'm pretty happy where uh, where it is right now. Um, okay. You know, the things that I could do to up the production value, I mean, certainly, um, you know, uh, but having two young kids at home, um, <laughs> especially like in that, that October to December, you know, phase, I don't want to uh, take too much, much time away from them. And, mm. you know, uh, uh, there's so many people doing such great content that um, I don't necessarily feel just kind of that, you know, that kick in the pants, like, Oh, we gotta, gotta do this. Gotta make something sure. of it. Um, Cause so many people are putting, putting stuff in and um, yeah, just to kind of keep it um, just relaxed enough, you know, for mm-hmm. me to, to still enjoy everything. I, I feel it's at a good place. Um, last year I did, uh, run two brackets simultaneously. Um, and mm. that, that was just a little too much, you know, to keep right. track, track of everything. So it didn't really feel very fun anymore. And it, um, I wasn't able to keep on top of the, the scheduling, um, mm-hmm. as much as I'd like to be in, 
drags on a little, little too much and people lose their interest um, as they do so. So I feel we're in a, in a good little spot if anyone wants to kind of, um, yeah, just contribute, you know, to it. You can definitely reach out. If you want to host one of your own like this, I know um, a group of, uh, you know, people in South America, specifically Brazil, have launched their own one. Uh, Ricardo Barros, uh, who's very, you know, he's like, he's the leader of the that Brazilian community uh, <laughs> down there. He, um, you know, said that they, they were doing something. But yeah, if you ever want some ideas about how to, to, to run this, I'm more than happy to talk with you about it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, then kind of, obviously, Super Gauntlet was a success. Uh, last thing, how do you and where do you go to kind of create the cool prizes? Um, like, I think, what were the prizes this year? Um, and when we say prizes, uh, that's always, you know, something that's interesting within the community. These are really cool altered prizes, an altered card. It's nothing... This isn't like a 1K, but like, what do you, how do you determine the prize? What card it's going to be? You know, how do, how is that chosen? Yeah. So, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, Phil Wynn commissioned an altar on a predict um, by a, a New York altarist, uh, David Lee. And he's a, min- a member of the, the general pre-modern uh, Facebook group. So he's really easy to find. And if you like the, the work that you've seen from him, uh, by all means, I can put you in touch with him. Um, if you'd like to, some some alterations done, uh, so that I gotta give credit to to Phil Wynn for coming up with the idea, and then for David actually doing the work, and he's always been a pleasure to uh, to work with. And uh, so yeah, the last two years we had uh, predict um, for the winner of the the bracket challenge, and again that's um, scoring the most points with your predictions. Um, and then this year to mix it up, I did a future site um, okay. altered. So in, in a similar way. So I'll, I'll see if there's any um, other similar cards which fit within that vein of, you know, doing a prediction. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then as far as like the players go, I, I do have uh, stamped cards um, going around. And uh, so I've got, you know, different uh, characters from the, um, the Onslaught block who, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the story, you, you had a bunch of like fighters, you know, in the, the Grand Coliseum. You yep. Know, they're all just like gladiators uh, in here. So uh, stamp cards for them. The winner, you know, gets uh, Phage the Untouchable because, you know, they were, uh, they uh, you know, went 6-0, and you know, through the, the gauntlet mm-hmm. uh, with their deck. And then second place, Chroma, And we got other choices, you know, for, for other guys. Rorix, Bladewing, Arcanist, nice. Omnipotent, all those. I love it. And it's a very unique thing, like something you can treasure in doing this and having uh, something to add to the binder, to the good luck box. So that's always awesome to see. So moving on from Super Gauntlet, I mean, Mike, you do a lot in the pre-modern community in general. Uh, Where are you with pre-modern? Anything cool you've been working on outside of Super Gauntlet? Um, How's the California scene? Just kind of what's your pre-modern journey been like, you know, outside of the Gauntlet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, right now we're just uh, planning some events coming up uh, here in SoCal. Um, we've got a regular thing going on at uh, Top Deck Keep in Riverside. And uh, for those who are in the LA area, I can't make it out there uh, as often, but uh, Nightwear in uh, North Los Angeles, they're, they're hosting monthly events as well. And um, 
I got an, an event going on at my local shop, Tier 1 Games, uh, February 17th. So we're going to do that. Um, also, uh, for anyone who is like in anywhere in the West Coast, um, the Deep Spawners, which is um, an old school group out here, they ha hold an annual event called Risk. And they've been doing this for, for many, many years. And this is the first year that they're doing pre-modern. Um, so the plan is to have a pre-modern event. Yeah, it's kind of like the West Coast equivalent of LobsterCon. I love it. Here. I love it. Yeah, so it's not quite as big, but I know like from their post before, they usually have like 70, 80 people for their okay. school event. And uh, yeah, they're going to do pre-modern, and it's going to be in Oceanside, California, venue to be determined, but it's going to be August, the, the weekend of August 9th. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I was wondering about is, you know, you obviously have East coast has lobster con. That's a far travel. And the only reason I know that in any concept is I had a trip that took me from here to Atlanta, then out to essentially LA. And that is a long flight. Um, at least to me, uh, and it's harder to get to. So I was wondering when, cause there's so much, there's so much great talent out on the West coast, so many places, I was wondering if and when something like what you mentioned was going to come up, like an equivalent so you could have it on both coasts. And I think mm -hmm. once we get that going, all we need is we just need that, like, I mean, one of us, a couple of us just have to move down to, like, a Texas or a Florida and kind of start getting all those little communities. Because there's, like, communities of, like, four or fives down there, at least that I've noticed, and get them all together oh, yeah. and just start, like, having it there. And then, then we'll be set. Once we get all the corners covered, then we can talk about like, uh, you know, would there be like a joining of all the forces? Like, what's the most middle central part of the entire United States? Find a venue and just do it there. Have everyone converge. That's my dream. It's a dream. <laughs> but uh, I'm very happy to hear that out in the West, this is happening. Um, I'm getting to the age where my older two are older, so I can start traveling. So this year, I'm hoping to get to LobsterCon. Um, probably can't make it out there in august but if it keeps happening i'll make it out there so it's just really cool to see what people are doing and the west coast is still growing um how is that scene out there with like you have you you have uh francisco you have um oh who else is out there i'm blanking on names there's 10 arms chris yep chris is out there um mm -hmm. there's a lot of you guys but california is so big <laughs> yes do, do those two like do the north and south guys ever kind of get together or is just california even too big for that sometimes yeah nothing nothing regular you know at the very end of 2022 uh we did um a decent to get together at collector legion in Londo, okay. california and uh, we, had, we had 28 people um out to that so that was a, a pretty good event yeah we had some you know people come down um uh peter smith's made it down from from washington oh, awesome. and, um you know uh flint and then galen lemay they made it down from the, the bay area uh mark mm -hmm. benet lund uh made it out from arizona so we had, we had a, a decent amount but um i wasn't able to necessarily organize um anything you know this year and um mm -hmm. nothing, nothing big like that but yeah at our local meetups we're regularly like around 12 to 20 people that's awesome uh, and as far as you personally, are there any kind of cool ideas that have floated around things you're working on? I mean, you're, you're a guy, when I think of you, I think of an innovation a lot of times to decks like uh, elves. You put brought the white 
into the elves to try Armageddon, you know, things like that. I think of you as an innovator of fresh ideas. Is there anything floating around in the innovating brain that uh, has shown some promise or is that all hush hush right now? Uh, there's nothing that I've been like really working on uh, necessarily. I've uh, mostly been running, um, you know, several of my uh, just, you know, regular ideas and just kind of fine tuning them. Um, I do have, a couple like crazy ideas, like one try to break Orcus Lumberjack um, <laughs> in the format, drop some, yep, yep. you know, big overcost or, you know, undercosted five drops. There you um, go. Get seven power out, you know, pretty quickly. But it, it does always seem to pale in comparison to uh, getting a, a Phyrexian Trinaut out. So. Yeah, he does make it. others feel a bit small, I suppose, yes. once it comes onto the battlefield. Um, okay. Well, my kind of before we go, we haven't spoken in a little bit since I think the PSS when we were talking mm -hmm. about it. I can't remember. Did we do a um, overrated, underrated card needs to be broken in that episode? That we did. That we did. Should I ask again, has anything changed since Lantac's been banned in your mind? Or are you still on the same answer as you think? I mean, probably, but I'm always good for some hot takes, if you are. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Hot takes only. What is the most overrated card in pre-modern right now, in your opinion? I'm going to say Terravore. Poor Terry. Poor, poor, poor Terry. Terry. Why, why, why is Terry overrated? Is it just because he's a vanilla boy that dies to anything that does not burn? That is, that is quite a bit um, of it right there. And um, he, he doesn't do a very good job against Waterfront Bouncer. I'll tell you that. Um, no, no, he does not. He's He bounces right on out of there. All right. Well, yep. poor Terry, poor Terry. Um, and personally, I just never have really enjoyed Terravore. I'd much rather get a, uh, um, a Mystic Enforcer or a okay. uh, Fledging Dragon out. Fair enough. I keep trying to make Magnavore work, and it just hasn't hasn't worked. But one of these days it will. Um, how about most underrated card in pre-modern right now? Underrated card in pre-modern. Um, I might go with Lightning Angel. I haven't seen a lot of Lightning Angels running around lately. You know, we have not. One weird effect, well, not weird effect, but different effect that we've seen from land tax being gone is people are not afraid to play lands now, and that includes Wastelands and Rashadon ports even more now, which is something that did go away a little bit with land tax. Sure. And those cards aren't great for <laughs> Lightning Angel's mana base in general. I think that might be something. Um, also, that deck really, really struggles against burn with like price of progress in the in the board. <laughs> um, I mean, I I love me Lightning Angel. I remember when um, uh, this girl, that girl, when it had come out in standard. I believe when uh, I think BK and Flores were the ones who were working on that and brought that to our attention. I loved that deck. That and this deck has all the things I wanted. It's fire ice. It can run everything. Swords. It's just, I think that mana base kills it. If it had, if we had a red, white, blue layer land, mm -hmm. I I think it'd be much better. Uh, but right now, that mana base is so painful. But I agree with you. All, all the more lightning angels. I have a uh, 
a stasis brew that is also it's uh, Oath of Stasis. So it's stasis with Oath of Druids I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And it's on my list of can I Oath into a uh, Lightning Angel or something? But a Chrome is just better. But I agree, more Lightning Angel. More Lightning Angel. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Bring it back for us. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Okay, cool. Um, what is a card that should be, needs to be, will be, broken now that land tax has gone away and our format is more open well why did i go with uh, my friend orcish orcish lumberjack which i just mentioned any right. forest now turns into three additional mana awesome and so what are we transforming what are we dropping what what's the targets right after that orcish lumberjack cuts down a nice big old tree so we got we got a couple different options here uh okay. one is just shiv and worm you know there five mana seven seven mm-hmm. trample just bounce your uh, lumberjack back to hand. Yep. That's all that needs to happen. Um, next, we have uh, Savage Fire Cat, which is one which I just rediscovered. Like I'd known the art before. It's, okay. Um, so it's a three and double red for a zero zero trample. But as it comes into play, you put seven plus one plus one counters on it. Mm-hmm. Whenever you tap a land for mana, you have to remove one of those counters. Mm. So. Kind of a drawback, but you have a 7-7 Trampler on turn two. You also have a Lumberjack, which can just turn your you know, force into to mana if you really need to grab some mana. Okay. I'm all for that. this. And we yeah. also just have a classic Sapling Burst. Mm-hmm. Lumberjack and Sapling Burst. for nine on the next turn. You make three yeah. three threes, nine, then six, and uh, then three. So that's yeah. 18 damage. It is eighteen. I mean, lumberjack is uh, on the come up. You heard it here first. I'm waiting for just just don't bring your lightning bolts or anything anything to do with that. Just don't do it. Nope. Don't don't do it. Um, but with that being said, Mike, before we kind of step away for the evening, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? Words of wisdom, any shout outs, anything like that before we kind of fade away into the cold. Well, at least my end, the cold winter night. Um, I might as well just shout out the, the whole crew um, who did the, the gauntlet with me uh, this year. So the entire um, you know crew was uh, Anton Glanz, David Daniel, um, Andrew Walker, uh, Jared Sitowski, sorry on your last name pronunciation, um, Aaron Dix, uh, Jeff White, and uh, of course, Jama uh, Fryfle is his uh, Facebook name. Um, but yeah, great crew. Uh, glad to have them. All members of the you know, community that you should recognize. And yeah, I was able, really um, glad that uh, a lot of these guys can make it this year. Several of them are ones which have expressed interest before, but just, you know, weren't able to do it in previous years. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. All right. Well, Mike, thank you again for all your efforts on behalf of the pre-modern community, running this gauntlet, the streaming that you do and all the effort you put into it. Um, I want to thank you for myself and I assume the whole community Um, guys. This has been another wonderful podcast. Uh, as I always say, pre-modern has gotten to the point. If you are interested in pre-modern, whether you want to play it full-time, it's a palate cleanser, Google it. There's this podcast. There's uh, there's the podcast, the Spike Colony. There's um, the pre-modcast. And that's just here in the U.S. and there's more. And there's stuff all around the world. There's videos. You can find it. So for myself, for Mike Arnold, thank you very much for joining us. And we will catch you next time. Take care. Mm-hmm.